0: This is Sheffield
1: Live. We're open for business life. The people who are volunteering for our organisation have the skills, the drive, and the ambition to create um, jobs for themselves in green infrastructure and in green recovery.
0: Hello and good morning. It's Friday, it's the 13th of November 2020, as this show goes out on Sheffield Live FM radio and online, and is first published as a podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I'm Jamie Veach. This is Business Live, our weekly programme for curious entrepreneurs, purpose-driven business owners, and social entrepreneurs too. Now, have you ever thought, what if... How do you make those what-if leaps of the imagination happen? How do you nurture your imagination? How do we make things happened that we really didn't think could be possible. Well, Paul Riley joined me for an interview yesterday, Thursday the 12th of November, to talk about the power of what if, from what is to what if even, and unleashing the power of creativity and much, much more. Now that is the title of a book that some people may or may not be familiar with, It was a book by Rob Hopkins, a uh, former teacher and a co-founder of the Transition Movement. And it was one of three books that Paul recommends in the interview. Keep listening to find out why he recommended it and what he thought of it, but also his other choices as well. Now, why are these books relevant to you? Well, keep listening to find out. Really interesting to talk with Paul and find out how they have impacted on him, how they've changed his life, but also because of the nature of what Paul does, I had the chance to ask him about ask him about reaching the UK's net zero target. And um, it was really interesting to hear from the Chief Exec of the Committee on Climate Change, who was published in some national newspapers this week talking about how costs have come down really rapidly. To move to a low carbon economy. And it is actually going to be much easier and cheaper than previously thought to reach net zero carbon emissions in the UK. So, of course, I asked Paul about that what is Transition Liverpool doing about that? And lots of tips from him as well about setting up a community interest company, which I think you might find helpful. Now, also on today's programme, we've got details of new support for businesses, a fascinating and fabulous event next week for, well, two fascinating and fabulous events next week, one focusing on startups and businesses and one focusing on social enterprise here in the Sheffield City region. So lots to come on the programme, which I hope you'll thoroughly enjoy. But before we get there, let's hear from our guest for this week, Paul Riley, Transition Liverpool CIC. We'll hear from Paul now. We're open for business life. When I put out the call for social entrepreneurs, leaders and so on about what's the best and most impactful book you've read and put into action to change your business, to change your world, I had a huge number of responses and I was particularly intrigued when Paul Riley got in touch because he made three recommendations of books. Paul is joining us on the show right now. Paul, hello. Hello, how are we? Good, thank you. How about you?
1: Not too bad. Working from home, very strange, but you know, brave new world and all that.
0: Yeah, quite indeed. Indeed. And um, yeah, so much has changed this year. You're um, network coordinator for Transition Liverpool CIC. Uh-huh. I want to find out more about that in a moment or two. But first of all, Paul, what what were the three books that you've recommended?
1: So we've got Donut Economics by Kate Wayworth. We've got From What Is to What If by Rob Hopkins and How to Resist by Matthew Bolton.
0: Grand. Okay, really interesting choices. So happens I've got two of them. I've got Donut Economics and I've got From What Is to What If, but I don't have the third book the matthew bolton book but can mm-hmm. we start with um kate's book donut economics yeah what's what's the book all about first of all and what did you gain from it well i think um
1: the three obviously this is a, a business business focused podcast isn't it and um,
0: yeah.
1: i think the whole, the whole um thing with these these three books really is they're not really business oriented in particular um, and it, it's just sort of ways that have really helped to inform my mindset and and how i I want to approach um, my interactions with the world and and, th- and and my sort of ways of earning money and ways of adding adding growth and adding adding um, value to to the worlds that I interact with um in my in my sort of you know my daily business um mm. and so the the donor economics one for me um, is really sort of as Really, into I, I, I came across it as a, a fairly, fairly sort of um, fresh face to economics. Um, I understand, obviously, you earn money to pay bills, and you know, the very, very basic stuff. But looking at economic models and things like that wasn't really anything that I was hugely interested in or um, had looked into. And a lot, and I think this book was re- as a really sort of a fascinating one for me because it was promoted to me by a lot of other activists and environmentalists and um, some of the leading thinkers on things like sustainability and, and permaculture.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting that you talk about that because um, promoted to you, because it sort of went, it was a, first of all an underground sleeper success and then it was long-listed and shortlisted for various awards it was, mm-hmm. it was actually one of the Financial Times' books of the year and one of Forbes magazine's best business books in the year, ultimately. And its subtitle is How to Think Like a 21st Century ec- Economist. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's really challenging what has been maybe some of the prevailing orthodoxy in traditional economics. I guess I'm not an economist myself, but um, um, it's been described as something that uh, has broadened the horizons of economic thinking as well. So you were recommended this book by other activists, by other people in environmental movements. What did you then gain from reading it?
1: Well, it it is a crash course in sort of um, traditional economics for Kate's Rayworth looks at it through the, the lens of her own experiences um, and her own, her own growth and development as an economist. Um, and I thought of, uh, basically, I, I was able to sort of quite quickly build up a rapport with her um, through her story as someone who um, decided on economics because she realises that the world revolves around money and transactional um, sort of interactions um, And so she went into economics to make a difference, and obviously, I am motivated in my work to make a difference um and It was the story really of her disillusionment with the economic models. And as I say, before I opened this book, I didn't have very much much understanding about any of this. But mm-hmm. she does talk around a lot of the, the economic models that are out there. And the more that she talks about these kind of things and does it in uh, a way that actually quite obviously shows that she's a, a, an incredible teacher. Um, she talks about these models. She talks about the textbooks that she came across as a student of economics. She talks about the models and um, particularly focusing on things like post-war models um, where we have this sort of fixation around growth um, and obviously those models were quite well suited for their time but they haven't changed and sort of talking about the the strange sort of realization she had that um the economic models that are taught even today in in, in our you know, universities and in our for our a-level students and colleges are basically economic models that are getting on for 18, 90 years old, um, and they do not take into account things as they are at the moment, and we still hear this today, and um, I didn't think it would be as engaging as it was, um, and hearing, um, hearing her talk about these things, you hear, um, you hear politicians talk about this all the time, they talk about things like gross domestic product, um, and they talk about those sort of measures of performance and how, how well a country is doing. And yes. the case that she makes um, after going through all these things and explaining the, the good points and the bad points of this is that uh, a sort of a constant force for economic growth um, a year on year is unsustainable on a finite planet. You can't have infinite growth on in a finite planet. And that's a very, very simple concept, um, but one that seems to be missing from a lot of the people who are uh, most important in making the decisions around how our world is going to look in the next 50 to 100 years
0: indeed yeah and you mentioned a couple of things there she's 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 very engaging as a writer she's turned something that could have the danger of being quite dry and feeling quite um uh, quite hard to to read into something that is thoroughly interesting captivating Mm -hmm. as well also, you talked about the sort of um, the, the whole growth is good ethos that has um, appeared to drive traditional economic thinking. And it harks back to what uh, E.F. Schumacher wrote, you know, nigh on 40, 50 years ago, the whole small is beautiful um, uh, idea, which we've covered on this program in, in, in the past. I, I thought the book itself as well, she's, she goes into a lot of detail about the disruption and innovation, how the world is changing, how AI and new ways of working and new ways of living um, will have um, an enormous impact over the the, the 10 years ahead as well. Quite aside from everything in the book about addressing the enormous pressure on the environment and inequalities in, in wealth and other issues. And it, it flagged up as a, as an alternative roadmap to bring human humanity into a sweet spot to yeah. meet the needs of all. So it obviously resonated really well with you and with the uh, the work that you're involved with, and it made you think differently. And you described how it educated you, you as well. Did it lead to you being able to act differently? Has it, it has it made you do things? that you wouldn't have done if you hadn't read the book? Um, I suppose it hasn't
1: really changed my direction, but it has helped to crystallise my ideas and give me some sort of basic underpinning for preconceived ideas, which um, I, I, have, I now have some sort of you know, um, evidential basis for. That's I think that's, re- that's really really important and engaging more with economics and donut economics and the launch of certain areas of donut economics such as the donut <laughs> economics lab and um, that's been really important as well because it really has helped to bring um, permaculture and those kind of ideas to the fore and um, yes. and has has basically um, put it onto a different setting and um, you know, when we're engaging with people now we can do it. Um, with these, these kind of ideas in our minds and understanding that yes, our, our ideas potentially are quite radical to some people. However, now we can say things like um, Amsterdam has become the first city in the world to adopt the donut economics model um, and that's what they're running their city by now Um i believe that islands are looking to adopt this model as well there's there's organizations the city councils there's countries all over the world who are looking at this as a new way to to run things ensuring not only that they meet um, the lower levels so the in, inner circle of that donut is you can't drop below that and the inner circle is what we need to ensure that everyone everyone has all the stuff that they need, their basics for life. So you've got your safety, you've got education, you've got, you know, you've got food, shelter, all the things that you would see in the sort of the UN um, rights of a child or the sustainable development goals. Um, And then at the same time, you can, you are, you are in the sweet spot, as you say, which is you're not actually um, exploiting the planet's finite resources to a point, which they are not going to be able to be replenished. Yeah. So, you're not only ensuring that everyone has what they need um, and everyone is able to live a healthy and a happy life, but you're also securing that same right for future generations. And I think the the most resonant sort of idea for me from that is the idea that you are living your life as a good ancestor. I, I want to be a good ancestor to the generations that come after me.
0: Yes. Indeed. And that is really interesting. And that came up, for, for, for example, with many other interviews that we've done on this program. So Cressa Wesling, who's the uh, co-founder of Elvis and Cressa, she was talking about um, business doesn't have to be psychopathic and um, mm-hmm. how her organization, which is a business, it's a B Corporation, um, lives, um, ru- they run that business in this way so that um, it's, not detrimental to uh, people who will future generations. Mm-hmm. Really interesting what you talked about there in terms of what you gained from reading Kate's book, Donut e- Economics, and. Amazing to see how this has – it's a bestseller. It's a Sunday Times bestseller. As I mentioned, it was one of the books of the year for the Financial Times, one of the best best business books of the year for Forbes. Let's move on to the next book, which is Rob's book, Rob Hopkins' From From What It Is to What If, Uh subtitle Unleashing the Power of Imagination to Create the Future We Want. Now, this is a call for a better world. What did you find most enjoyable about the book? What did you gain from it? It, um, it gives me hope.
1: Mm. I think that's the main thing. Um, I, have, I have started a, a community interest company with, um, with the other, my colleagues within Transition Liverpool yes. um, because I am deeply worried about the future um, and I'm deeply worried about climate change and environmental issues. And I really wanted to try and find a way to um, to to, you know um, take action on that in a way that was I I was was able to cope with. Um, And the whole transition model and the idea of um, looking um, looking at the big big picture, but doing things on a local level and and sort of compartmentalising things almost to um, you know become part of a, a bigger whole. Is, is really, really powerful because it helps you to um, break those problems down. And instead of being terrified about, you know, um, Australian bushfires and, and the retreating glaciers and things like that, um, you, it helps you because it it gives you an amazing feeling of powerlessness, climate anxiety, and, and these fears for the future. Um, and if you don't have some sort of touchstone from which to, and you know see that you're able to make small changes in your own life that can ultimately bring uh, bring about a better future then you do you do run the risk of completely um, wiping yourself out and becoming a completely um, ineffective um, force so um, the whole idea of transition is one that um, is really really powerful for me and this is a book about all of uh, so Rob. I should obviously explain, Rob Hopkins is one of the people who began the transition, Indeed. Uh, the first transition um, group in Tartness and Devon. And obviously he's written a number of books on it. Um, and this one is all about unleashing the power of the imagination. And he talks about all these amazing, ridiculous, completely off the wall ideas that have happened throughout the world. And um, it gives you the feeling that you're not alone. It gives you the feeling that there are people everywhere who are having the same thoughts and concerns and fears that you are. And there's people taking matters into their own hands and actually doing really, really crazy, imaginative, off-the-wall things that are bringing about change. And there's a couple of stories in the book that really, really jump out at you. Um, for myself, there's um, the per- a person called Anetis Mokas, who was the president of the National University of Columbia, um he was he was sacked from his job there after um bearing his backside at a, a lecture to some students um and the reason that he said he did that was um innovative behavior can be useful when you run out of words um, nice. a very very strange sort of way to start to start a little bit of a story but uh it grabs your imagination and then he ended up actually being dismissed as the president of the university um and then went on to campaign to become the mayor of his city. So this is Bogota in Colombia. Yes. Um, he wore a superhero costume and canvassed the city as a super citizen to become elected as the mayor of the city. And some of the things that he asked people to do as part of it, um, asking people to pay 10, 10% extra tax on a voluntary basis yes. to get yeah. more stuff done in the city, establishing a night without men, Men were asked to stay home and look after their family, while women went out into the city for the night. The city's female police officers in charge of keeping the peace. Yes, a gun amnesty. Um, he also sacked all of the um, traffic police in the city because he realised that the uh, sort of the the issue there and said the death rate was linked to corruption within that body. So he sacked all of these officers and employed maimorists. Yes. They- and mime artists stood on the corners of the streets, giving a thumbs up to good drivers and a red card to bad drivers. Yes, and he only he only re-employed those traffic officers if they also retrained as mime artists. And in those actions reduced traffic fatalities by fifty percent.
0: And there we are with the concrete impact, the the tangible impact. And I love the way the book, each chapter is. What if we, dot, 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 from yep. what if we took play seriously through to what if our leaders prioritised the cultivation of imagination uh-huh. and uh, what if we nurtured imaginations in school and and so on. And the book is packed with stories, as you've described as well, but uh, wonderful stories that resonate, that uh, talk about impact, talk about positive impacts of change as well it's a it's a great uh pay into uh, uh, following leaps in in the imagination and that's something that we've talked about on this show again in the past when we were talking about uh, maria popova's book which um, is a, a wonderful historical description of imaginative leaps made in science and in art and how those have benefited society and understanding um, and Rob's book is recommended by numerous people. Um, Sir Ken Robinson, the uh, educator who died this year, is a was a huge fan of the book. But um, there are numerous endorsements for for the book itself. You mentioned that it uh, gave you hope, and you mentioned that it made you understand there are other people out there who want to take these imaginative leaps to uh, change perspectives change cultures change societies for the better as well yeah i think
1: yeah. there's like this whole idea that um it's, it's it's very very easy to become cynical
0: yeah in
1: the world that we live in um, it's very very easy to look at things like play um and, and imagination and fun um you know and recreation um creating things for the love of creating things rather than to do it for a, an end you know, play as an end in itself these are things that um as we grow older and we go through challenges i've i've myself had had issues with debt and issues with my mental health and um, you become stuck in sort of these modes of thinking and and you become you come to sort of assume that things like imagination and play and play and creativity are indulgences or unnecessary. Um, and not the th- kind of things that you want to have as, um, you know, at the forefront when you're trying to be a productive member of society or going to work or running a business and things like that. And and books like this really help you to sort of change your mindset around that and understand that, like, imagination and creativity is, is, is a superpower. Um, yes. And if we are going to um, uh, confront and um, change the challenges that we have in the world, we can only do that through cultivating that muscle, that imagination muscle. And it does talk about things as well, like um, it actually. If you don't use this power, if you don't use this skill, um, then it can actually have you know um, physical change. It can cause physical changes in your brain. It can it can really change like the way that you you operate, the way that you think. It can it can reduce your attention span. Um, and all these all these negative things can come around from the simple act of not you know sitting down even 20 minutes for a day to to read a book or draw a picture on that very very basic level very very small things can help your mental health can help you become more productive and then taking it to the macro looking at using your imagination to solve the world's biggest problems
0: indeed yeah, use it or lose it. The imagination, Absolutely. cultivate it, nurture it, and and then the what if can become real. And as Rob describes so so eloquently throughout the book, so that's um, that's a a great introduction to from what is to what if. Rob's book. Should we move on to the third book that you've um, you've recommended, mm-hmm. Paul? And that was that was uh, Matthew Bolton, How to Resist effective strategies for change making tell us about this one
1: so again it's not really a business book but it's one that informs um how i work it informs how i think um so matthew bolton was involved in the campaign for a living wage um which obviously um was a, a hugely successful campaign and has become a sort of a benchmark really, in um, sort of the development of workers' rights. Um, And the way that he talks about engaging with issues rather than, um, you know, uh, general ideas is uh, something that I think is really, really helpful and useful, not just in terms of protest, but in terms of tackling any any problems that you have. And as an example, if you... If you go on a march for, for women's rights or you go on a march um, against pollution, it's quite easy for the person whose door you're marching to, whether that's Downing Street or the town hall, it's quite easy for that elected official to come out and say, yes, we agree. We want women's rights. We want to stop climate change. But there's no action there. There's no actionable things. There's there's nothing that you can actually use to pin people down, um, and there's no real focus for change. So instead, if you were marching to say we want equal pay for women and men in this organization, or we want you to divest from fossil fuel subsidies, um, and you know you want to move your investments away from fossil fuels, those are actual pinpoints things that you can actually try and push for Um, and that was really really important i think in terms of like an achievable pressure focus turn problems climate change into issues don't say we want to stop climate change say we want a citizens assembly which can help to stop climate change yes so So, you know
0: much more specific requests and or demands or calls for action yeah far more specific there that can't just be sort of agreed with. And there's the old saying, fine words, butter, no parsnips, isn't there? And it's very easy to agree (laughs) with a vague statement. Uh, Yeah, we want that as well. But that's not actually agreeing to any action, any change. So this has given you the, reinforced the the need for specifics, and given you uh, the understanding of how actually change makers need to need to put things in a way that they can't just be agreed with and nothing happens they need to uh, they need to be phrased they, they need to be um, more specific than that
1: absolutely I mean it's it, and it, it really helps when you when you I didn't I didn't plan on becoming um, part of a CIC mm. um, and part of the, this book was part of the reason that we've done that yes um and so the, there's two there's there's two quotes really that i've I've pulled out to just share mm-hmm. um he's He's said this twice in two a, a number of times actually quite a lot of my books you'll find particularly the ones that are nonfiction, have um notes in the front yeah. um and so two different ways to say this um we only get the justice that we have the power to make happen, and also you get the justice you have the power to compel so mm-hmm he He talks about this idea all the way through, um, and it really helps to clarify um, your thinking in terms of what you want to do um so obviously transition is a group that wants to prevent climate change, but what do, what does that actually mean in the local context? You can't get people who are concerned about poverty um and concerned about you know paying the bills, heating the house. You can't really get them to engage on things like skinny polar bears. Um, you need to you need to pull it into a sort of a local context, um, and you know the idea that you get the justice, you have the power to compel. We need to build power bases and uh, to be to to make um, amplify our voices. And the mm-hmm. other the other quote that um, I think is really amazing is uh, the moral brilliance of the idea gets you nowhere in the face of the hard reality of trying to get things done
0: yeah that's a very very effective quote that and all too often people social enterprises activists community organizations charities will focus on the moral brilliance more more than the actual actions and Mm. um, that, that quote distills the harsh realities of 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 that in um, very 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 effectively very effectively indeed. So that Absolutely, was Matthew yeah. Matthew Bolton's
1: Matthew, book. Matthew Bolton yeah, um, and it, it really helped it really helped us um, mm. to you know decide what we were going to do and what we were going to focus on and yes. how how our how our mission statements and our our aims objectives and the outcomes that we wanted to achieve. Um, we are then able to link back to those ideals that we have
0: yes indeed yeah okay and tell us then about y- your organisation transition liverpool cic community interest company um because you mentioned um you mentioned the mission that you want to uh, well the, the mission and the actions that you want to achieve tell us about transition liverpool what is it that you you want to do in the immediate and short and medium term
1: so we are um part of the global transition movements which is supporting society to transition away from fossil fuels towards a sustainable future um, and the way that we do that is different in every every area there are two over 200 transition groups in the uk and there's transition groups all over the world and um, but there are similar so there's sort of similarities across our differences we amplify stories of positive change and we work to build people bring people together across differences. So we try and do things on a local on a local level. Transition Liverpool are one of the few transition cities in the world. Yeah. Um so the transition town movements um, really looked it, it became came around from people starting to get together and, and make changes in their areas. In Liverpool, Obviously, it's a larger area than your, your average town. So um, it became quite difficult for us to make changes on our own and to build campaigns. And again, to build that power base to make, to affect change in the world. So um, that's why I became network coordinator because a lot of what we do is around linking with other organizations and providing a platform for other organizations and, and, that, and that collaboration in order to ensure that we are coordinated in our actions and um, we're not repeating things or duplicating our efforts. And we ensure that all of the work that we do in a voluntary nature, as well as now as in the CIC, um, is, you know, we get, we get the big biggest punch for the pound, I suppose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we've got, well, all the transition groups um, we have, we have core groups, um, which are, you know, obviously running the nuts and bolts of the, um, the, Regular meetings and um, deciding on our direction and things like that. And then what they do is they support working groups. So it's a duocracy transition. If you've mm-hmm. got ideas, um, we would like to help you bring those ideas to life. And um, we will support you with, in um, Liverpool, what we will do is we can support through signposting to other organisations that you may wish to join and um, helping you with things like funding and skills. We can do we do mentoring in terms of like trying to trying to t- t- tell people our journey and the the stumbling blocks that I've come across and we've come across as an organisation to get to the stage where we've now become a CIC. Yes, and um, in order to clear the path for people to get through the the boring or the difficult to the point where they can start making change much more quickly.
0: Yes, indeed. What what, what were the barriers then to um, becoming a CIC, setting up a CIC? What were the most difficult elements? Well, the, actually, the most
1: difficult element of becoming a CIC was finding someone who knew how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I am I'm not a, a business-minded person. I am um, a creative. I've been a musician for many years. Mm. I work in education. Um, and I've never considered the fact that I would start a business. Mm. Um, and actually finding people who are coming on board who are able to bring their skills. For instance, we have recently... Uh, appointed a treasurer who is very, very experienced in these areas and was able to guide us through all of the ideas around what do we want to be? Do we want to register as a charity? Do we want to become a CIC? Are we going to remain a voluntary organisation? Um, and, you know, helping us to bring those skills in. And I think that um, the the really important lesson there that that I've learned um, is really you, you, you can't do everything yourself um, and there's no point in trying to become a jack of all trades. Um, stick to your skills and and try and bring other people in. And if you if you are good enough as a communicator and you reach out to enough people and, and you can make contact with people who have the same goals or similar goals to yourself, then you can build a very, really robust team. So if I'm if you want me to talk about the nuts and bolts of the CIC. Mm. I'd have to refer you to my treasurer because he's the person who is able to give us that that level of expertise which enables us to go on and work in other areas and you know do, deliver the work and the projects that we are we are focusing on
0: that's really interesting. I mean, that uh, resonates, I'm sure, with many social entrepreneurs listening to this. Many business leaders, we have purpose driven business leaders also listening to this show and, and social entrepreneurs. And the whole idea of building a team, um, with different skills, complementary skills, and um, having the confidence to get people on board who have uh, knowledge, skills, and abilities that complement your own is different to yours. And like you said, if you're a good communicator, if you can communicate effectively about that mission, that purpose that vision then um it's um it's easier to engage other people as well Mm. um so well best of luck with the um the activity the action in liverpool and beyond and i was intrigued and interested to read this morning it was reported this morning in a national newspaper that um, chris stark who's the chief executive of the committee on climate change which is a independent statutory advisory body to the UK, has said that um, it will be easier and cheaper to reach net zero carbon emissions than previously thought, and it can be done in a way to quickly improve the lives of millions of people. So are we doing enough to reach net zero in the UK? And um, if you had a magic wand, and uh, waving the magic wand would get the government to do something, what would it be?
1: <laughs> um, short answer is no, we're not doing enough. Um, but the longer answer is that um, I suppose we know we know what we need to do. We do know what we need to do. Um, the two projects that Transition Liverpool are really working at the moment. We're developing a Mersey Green map, um, and that is going to um, really sort of list all of the. Environmental organisations and the cooperatives and the independent businesses in our in our local area to try and encourage people to go to those businesses and to patronise them and to get involved in, in in these sort of pushes towards a stronger community and a stronger local community, which will help to you know ensure that we are more resilient for the future. And the other project, which goes hand in hand with this, is called Spark at Liverpool. This is the the one that I'm really sort of taking the project lead on. Um, And we are currently crowdfunding for our launch event, which is going to be in June next year. Um, And we are promoting, we're supporting 30 independent businesses and community organizations and creatives to create pop-up infrastructure. So pop-up parking spaces. So we're going to have things like a speaker's corner, a vertical garden, a 3D realization of a Van Gogh. All these ideas, um, which are all around, sort of supporting our local independence and giving a platform to mm. to people. And the goals for both of these, obviously, there are, there are there are conversations to have around what you what you want your urban landscape to look like, and um, do we really need as many cars as we do have? Can we utilise our outdoor space in a better way to support hospitality industry and independent businesses, especially given that, you know, in a world of social distancing, we need room for imagination. We need room for power to grow. We need room to be able to speak to each other and communicate safely. And we need room for our organisations, our hospitality businesses to operate. So all of our goals really in in Transition Liverpool are informed by the overall transition sort of permaculture principles, which are on community wealth building. Yes. So instead of, you know, the uh, sort of extractive capitalism model of going to a huge multinational corporation that may or may not pay uh, their fair share of tax and may or may not, you know, um, siphon a lot of their profits off to offshore bank accounts. um, Why aren't you going to your local coffee shop um, where 70 pence of that pound goes back into the local community and they pay taxes to your local authority um, which obviously helps to build jobs and improve our environment and improve our local economy. And yes. that's that's the kind of future for us, really. That's the answer, I think.
0: That's the future in terms of the local multiplier effect as well, isn't it? In terms mm-hmm. of that, uh, that difference uh, out of a pound spent if that's pound was spent with a local, locally rooted business compared with a uh, business that isn't. And um, you talked about uh, community wealth building. I know that's being championed by um, an organisation called Clare's Centre for Local Economic Strategies, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. So mm-hmm. um, Sparkit uh, sounds like a really intriguing, interesting project there. You mentioned your crowdfunding. That uh, crowdfund is active at the moment on SpaceHive, spacehive.com, but I'll, I'll tweet the link out to the um the specific project page on Spacehive for the Sparkit Liverpool project. And Paul, perhaps we can um we can flag up the actual transition Liverpool website if you'd like to mention the
1: website address please. Yeah, so that's transitionliverpool.org. I'm also very aware that I didn't answer the second part of your question there, which is what <laughs> I'd like what would like the government to do. Um, yes. And I think what if I could wave magic wand And again, the reason I've become a CIC is because the people who are volunteering for our organization have the skills, the drive and the ambition to create um, jobs for themselves in green infrastructure and in green recovery. Um, And what I would like the government to do, it's not a huge ask really, is just to recognize that there are many, many people out here not... you know, in the north of England as well. It's not just it's not just opportunities in the south. There's talented people all over the UK who, if they have the opportunity, would be very very pleased to be able to go into green infrastructure, go into environmental areas, and actually these areas are really really profitable. So I'm not asking people to spend money. Um, for no reason to you know try and reduce our carbon emissions we're making the case that we've got a we've got a really viable business model here and it's a business model that is going to be pushing for um, you know a clean cleaner air and a better environment and a more resilient local community. These are all actual physical tangible responses to climate change and climate resilience in the future that are also going to help our economy so all I would ask of the government is to realize that a Green New Deal and a Green Revolution is not only the way to stave off the worst, worst issues, um, problems with climate change, but to help us in our, in our recovery and our economic recovery from the situation that
0: we currently find ourselves in. Yes. So turning slogans into actually something meaningful turning build back better for example into something actually that means something in terms of an inclusive recovery and real job creation real real jobs well paul riley thank you so much for joining us on the radio show and podcast today it's been really interesting talking with you hearing not only about the three books that you mentioned earlier on but also about what transition liverpool is up to paul thank you so much Thank you very much. This is Sheffield Live. We're open for Business Live. This is Business Live, Sheffield Live's weekly programme for curious entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs, purpose driven business owners, and charity chief execs. With me, Jamie Veach. And that was Paul Riley, the director and network coordinator at Transition Liverpool CIC, community interest company. And what a fascinating um, trio of books. Paul recommended to us there I've read and got a couple of them two of them not the third so I'll take a look at that but if you've read any of those books what did you think have they uh, have they made such an impression on you I'd be really interested in you getting in touch send an email to jamie at sheffieldlive.org we're all um put a tweet out. Find me on Twitter at Jamie Veach. Sheffield Live is on Twitter as well. And I'll be putting a link out to the things Paul mentioned um, uh, via my Twitter account, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Great. Okay, so a couple of interesting things coming up. First of all, the British Library leading a revolution by inspiring a thriving community of new and existing business owners, they say. And they are putting together a a day of free talks and practical advice sessions, all designed to get your business idea off to a flying start. This is called Startup Day 2020, and it's taking place next Thursday, the 19th of November. It's free. It's online. It's from 9.30 till 445 And it's the biggest day of the year for the British Library's um, initiative in this this respect. So whether you're just starting out, whether you need advice on sales, ready to take the next step, then it's their annual day of free business support with a live chat feature as well and events being hosted across the country, including here in Sheffield, which I'll come on to in a moment or two. But their central programme of talks covers... Getting started with your sales strategy, being seen by new customers, finding the right mentor, a conversation with the co-founder of Toast Ale, Louisa Zian, and Louisa being interviewed by Paul Linley, the founder of Ella's Kitchen, and uh, much, much more. You can find full details at bl.uk. Look up Startup Day 2020 in the event section, but there are also some breakout rooms, including... Some things hosted by partners throughout the um, throughout the, the the UK, including including here in Sheffield. So if you uh, if you're interested in that one, that's the Business and Intellectual Property Centre Sheffield, um, which is located in Sheffield Central Library, and they're hosting a really interesting session with somebody who has been on the programme a couple of times. And is the founder of Brightbox Makerspace. And she is a winner of the Social Entrepreneur of the Year Award as well. And that is Kisha Bradley. She, uh, she gave us a fantastic interview at the start of this year. Really always interesting to hear from Kisha. And she'll be involved in the breakout session with the British Library in, the, um, in, this, in Startup Day. So really, really interesting. Now you can book for this. So I will tweet the links out to this. You don't have to have a Twitter account. Just look me up on Twitter at Jamie and I'll put them in the show notes for the podcast as well. But the registration is at bipc.tv. And then you should be able to find it. And you can also find details of Startup Day at the British Library's website as well so uh, check it out. Also coming up is the Reset Festival of Social Enterprise, running all of next week from the 16th to the 20th of November, an online festival to celebrate social enterprises here in the Sheffield City region and exploring how they can come together as a sector to move forward successfully. It's going to include an opening session with input from the Social Enterprise Exchange and their partners and from Social Enterprise UK. There are going to be then a series of sessions taking place um, from Monday through to Wednesday on different types of organisations, case studies, discussions, learning, collaboration sharing uh, good practice. Then on Thursday next week, the 19th of November, International Social Enterprise Day, hosting uh, panel sessions as part of... There are panel sessions as part of the Festival of Social Enterprise, as part of Reset, including input from Social Enterprise UK and and more. You need to sign up to take part in the panel sessions. And then there's um, networking and learning groups next Friday, the 20th of November. So there's ever such a lot going on. The festival page is at um, bigmarker.com and then you need to look up Reset 2020. I will tweet a link to that and I'll put that link in the show notes as well so you can find full details of the Reset Festival of Social Enterprise. There are also a couple of fringe events as well. So there's ever such a lot going on as part of that so it's worth taking a look, seeing if... uh, anything that looks like it could be helpful to you and worth taking part in. And if you're running a social enterprise here in the Sheffield City region, then it looks likely it will be helpful to you. Okay, so what else is going on? on? Well, Sheffield City Council is launching a new business grant scheme to support businesses affected by the latest COVID-19 restrictions um, following the national lockdown. And the Sheffield City region... And it's uh, four local authorities have been allocated £33 million to support businesses whose trading has been impacted by COVID-19. So the council in Sheffield has been working with the city region and other local authorities to develop a new grant scheme. And um, there is uh, funding available from government to be deployed and delivered to businesses. And if you want to... um, Navigate your way through the available support and you are base in Sheffield and contact Business Sheffield, their team of advisors uh, ready to help you on 0114 224 5000 or um, sign up to Sheffield City Council's email alert and also follow Business Sheffield on social media and you should be able to find all the details and be able to learn how to apply if, if these are eligible. Uh, if these are relevant to you and you're eligible okay great stuff right that is it for this week's program so thanks ever so much for listening to the show my thanks to paul riley for doing the interview with me which we did uh, yesterday thursday the 12th of november thanks of course sheffield live for broadcasting the program on fm radio and online And um, however you're listening, whether you're listening through uh, Sheffield Live FM or online or whether you're listening as a podcast, then Sheffield Live, of course, has a whole range of exciting and fantastic programmes available that you can enjoy and uh, discover all sorts of new and wonderful music and much, much more. And Sheffield Live itself has uh, been broadcasting now for 13 years. On FM radio, full time. It's now 20 years since Sheffield Live's very first broadcast at the Sharrow Festival, back in the year 2000. So, a happy birthday, Sheffield Live! The uh, anniversary, the 13-year anniversary of FM radio, was uh, end of October. So, well worth celebrating. And thank you for listening to the program. Really appreciate the. the listeners' comments that uh, come in and, and support and interest in our wonderful interviewees. So thank you very much. Next up on FM Radio is our fantastic folk music program. Thank goodness it's folk. So tune in to that. Stay tuned for that if you're listening on FM. And we'll play out with a track of music for radio listeners. Sadly, not, I'm afraid, for podcast listeners. But this one was chosen by Paul Riley. The track is "Change" by Mavis Staples. Sheffield
1: Live. Made in Sheffield. Made by you.
0: This is Sheffield Live. We're open for business life.